The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. This morning's scripture reading is a little bit different. It's from several different passages, so rather you can just listen to me read them if you would like. The first is from 1 Corinthians 7, 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. The next is from Galatians 5:13. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. The next is from Psalm 147:12 through 13. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion, for he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. The final reading is from 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 through 12. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. This is the word of the Lord. Today for the uh, offering instrumental, instead of having music, we thought it would be fun to just have the kids scream as loud as they can on their way out. That was beautiful. That might be my favorite offering instrumental yet. (laughs) It's so good to see you all. I'm so glad that you're here, whether it's your first time here, whether you're a longtime member of Shades. um, I really believe that nobody is here by chance or circumstance. The Lord has brought each of us here this morning to accomplish his purposes, and he sees fit to do so through ordinary means, one of those ordinary and weak means you're looking at. Um, But nonetheless, he is gracious and good and wants to encourage us and build us up and guide us, minister to us. So would you join me in prayer that he would do that through my words this morning? Gracious Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that nothing of any eternal significance can happen this morning without you. Father, I pray for myself, if there's anything that I say that's untrue of your word, it's untrue of the scriptures, that is for my own selfish gain, would it be forgotten? Would it fall on deaf ears? But Father, what is true, what is from your word, may it be received deeply in our hearts. May your spirit fall on this place to give us the medicine that we need this morning. I don't know what everybody's going through, but you do. And so would you speak to them in however you see fit, for their good and for your glory. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're kind of getting to this place in the fall where, you know, we have uh, daylight savings time, and so maybe you got some extra sleep. Or maybe you have a kid and that just doesn't matter at all. But you know, it starts getting a little darker earlier, like you walk outside at 10 a.m. and it's dark and 
I know some people like that. Those people are called sinners. Um, I don't get it. Uh, maybe you're kind of getting towards the end of the semester. Maybe you feel a little weariness at your work. It kind of feels like as I've gone around and asked people, how's your work going? The response is this. Uh, then followed by, it's okay. <laughs> then followed by, no, it's good, it's good. <laughs> feels pretty common, all right? How's work going? How's parenting? How's the semester? How's retirement? All right? The reality that we all know is that because we live in a fallen world, there are going to be moments, there are going to be seasons where the work that we have is going to be frustrating. The vocation that the Lord has called each of us to is going to be tiresome. It may feel fruitless. It may feel pointless. You may find yourself at the end of the day asking, what is the point? Why does it matter? Maybe you feel a sense of aimlessness right now as you think about your vocation. Kind of a, uh, you don't know the direction that you're supposed to be going. Maybe there's some uncertainty. Maybe you're thinking about a shift. Maybe you feel like the Lord is calling you to something else. Maybe you're in a season where you are waiting. Or maybe you come in this morning and you're like, I was actually feeling pretty good about my work or my vocation until Brad maybe started thinking about it. (laughs) But maybe you're in a good place, right? Maybe things are going okay, right? Um, I don't know where you're at this morning. But with the time that we have today, no matter where you're at, I want us to go to the scriptures and I want us to look at what is true of our vocations. What is true of our work? So that we we may be encouraged to continue no matter what situation we're in, whether things are going good or whether they're not, or whether we're in a season where we have no idea what God wants us to do. I want us to find hope this morning. I want us to find encouragement, and I believe it's here in the scriptures. Okay, so first, first the scriptures reveal, by the way, like none of these points are like super mind-blowing, okay? So like, you might not need to write them down, you know, it might be obvious, but I, I think there's something to applying it afresh, not just uh, as an abstract thought, but to today, to this moment. So first, your vocation is holy. First, your vocation is holy. First Corinthians 7, as we read earlier, Paul writes, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. So here, before we just brush past this, the Lord says something significant about our vocational lives. Okay, so what's going on in Corinth? Well, the situation is that in Corinth, there are people that are beginning to think, 
well, now that I'm a Christian, does that necessarily mean that I need to change my vocation? Do I need to change my work now that I put my faith in Jesus Christ if my work is going to be holy and pleasing to the Lord? It says, let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned him and to which God has called him. That when the Corinthians place their faith in Jesus Christ, that does not necessarily mean that they need to change their work or vocation to do holy and pleasing work to the Lord. It's clear in these verses that Paul is talking about everyday work. He uses the words assigned, called, to talk about everyday tasks in society. So just as God calls us into faith and he Uh, gifts us by the Spirit to build up the body, so God calls, this is significant, God calls and equips believers with various abilities and talents to work for the good of the community, of the broader community and society. I think this is what the Scriptures teach. So if you go back to the medieval church, um, at the time there was this division that existed. What was the division? The division was between the spiritual work of the clergy and then the ordinary work of the laity, of the congregation, of the ordinary folk, right? This stark divide between the spiritual and the secular when it came to viewing one's work. And so Martin Luther as he read the scriptures, saw that this is not the case. This should not be. And he says this. He says, It's pure fiction that Pope and bishops and priests and monks are called to the spiritual estate while artisans and farmers are called to the temporal estate. All Christians are truly of the spiritual estate. There is no difference except for office. When you think about your calling, when you think about your vocation, do you think of it as a holy vocation? Do you think of it as a holy calling? The scriptures do. There is not this stark divide between the spiritual work of Brad and the ordinary work of, insert your Um, Your vocation is holy. Our vocations are holy not because of the title, not because of the position, not because it's done within the walls of this church, but because the triune God has reconciled you to himself. He has set you apart. He has empowered you with his Holy Spirit. He has called you to work, and then he has asked you to devote that work to him. Holy vocations. So that's the first thing I want us to do this morning, is simply as we think of our vocations, we would see that they are holy vocations. Okay, second, second, the scriptures reveal that our vocations are holy, 
because of the work that Jesus Christ has done in us and reconciling us to God, setting us apart, and calling us to mission. Okay? And second, the scriptures reveal... All right, this is another obvious one. I'm sorry. I have a baby. You know, we're not sleeping a ton. Mostly my wife isn't, but I'm trying to garner sympathy, so I'm not (laughs) sleeping a ton either. Second, you're more than your work. You are more than your work. Galatians 5.13 For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You are called to freedom, brothers. So here Paul is saying that Christians are free from the law in Christ, meaning that the burden... The burden of attempting to be right with God on the basis of one's performance no longer applies to Christians, for they now enjoy the freedom of being redeemed from the curse of the law because they have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. So the Galatians, this is significant and profound because they are freed from having to earn their status as the holy people of God through works of the law, right? And so this is good news for us. For while we may know this cognitively, for some of us, does it not feel like we are in a constant state of needing to prove ourselves? No matter what the context is, I need to prove who I am in my marriage. I need to prove who I am as a parent. I need to prove who I am. As I walk through these doors this morning, there's this anxiety that builds in me that says, I need to prove to you that I should be here. I need to prove to you that I belong here. And there's something within me that says you don't belong. There's something within me that says you're less than. There's something in, in me that says You are nothing, and so therefore, we spend our entire lives proving who we are, earning a position, earning a status. And the good news of the gospel is that our identity has been given to us. We do not have to prove anything to God. We do not have to earn a position in the family or in this community. Do you believe it? If I'm honest with you, sometimes I believe it in my head, but I don't in my heart. And my actions reveal it to me. So we do not have to prove ourselves by works of the law, but here's the other one. We don't have to prove ourselves by works of our work. (laughs) Right? Works of our work. And so Paul says that we're freed in Christ now to love and to serve others because we do not have to spend our life earning and gaining a position before God and before one another, right? So you know what this does? And this is big, and this is something the Holy Spirit does throughout our life, in our hearts. It frees us from seeing everybody else as competition, It frees us 
from seeing everybody else in our world is competition. When C.S. Lewis wrote about pride, he said this. He said, pride gets no pleasure out of having something. Only out of having more of it than the next man. Let me say that again because I paused. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. It is the comparison that makes you proud. It is the pleasure of being above the rest. Once the element of competition is gone, pride is gone. So you no longer have to be a notch above everyone else in your achievements. You no longer need a lifestyle that communicates success to the world. You no longer need to keep up with the Joneses or compete with the Joneses. For your identity has been gifted to you. Do we not know Lewis's words to be true? Do we not know the most prideful people to be the most insecure people. I don't belong. Everyone's a threat to my identity. I need to constantly prove who I am. And then put that weight on your work. Put that weight on your vocation. Right? It's not the way it was meant to be. So I want to say this to especially people who are in between work right now, maybe, or maybe you're contemplating a change, or I mean, I don't know. I don't know where you're at. But there can be this sense where we put in, this, in our society, and it's normal, like we put so much weight on our vocation to define us, right? So when we introduce ourselves, this is Brad, and he's a pastor. I'm like, ah, oh, dang it, don't tell people I'm a pastor, <laughs> They're going to hate me. Don't say that. They're not going to be honest around me. I'm not honest around myself, right? That's a very normal thing. And so somebody, somebody said uh, one time, okay, well, when you introduce someone, don't give a title. Instead, say something about them, a characteristic that you like. Like, this is Brad, and he's a really funny guy. I have to be honest, I haven't done that yet because it feels super weird. But I think the point, if you do that, that's great, by the way. Um, let's keep moving. So the point <laughs> that I'm trying to make, right, is that we put so much stock in our title. When you could go on your social media page and update the, fa- the fact that you got a certain degree or the fact that you got a new position or you're at a party and you're telling someone, oh, what do you do? I'm, right? There is such a temptation to define ourselves by our work, but when we do that, we know it goes bad. The good news of the gospel is that we are more than our work. And I don't know who who needs to hear that this morning. Okay. Third, your vocational work is the means through which God cares and sustains his creation. Your vocational work is the means through which God cares for and sustains his creation. Okay? Okay. Psalm 147, verses 12 and 13, says this, Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. 
This is what I want you to hear. For he strengthens the bars of your gates. For he strengthens the bars of your gates. Okay? Let's go back to the medieval church for a second because that was a ton of fun, right? Um, So Luther, reading these verses, asks this question. He says, how does God strengthen the bars? Um, And that's obviously metaphorical. How does God provide for the security and the safety of a city? How does he strengthen the bars? How does he provide for security and safety of a city? And Luther's answer is God does this through good order. God does this through wise rulers. This is a gift from God. So he keeps reading. He goes on. Verse 14. He makes peace in your borders. And so Luther, reading scripture again, goes, okay, how does God make peace in your borders? And his answer is through good neighbors who act with honesty and integrity. You get that? How does he make peace in the borders? Good neighbors who act with honesty and integrity. Okay, Luther goes on, he reflects on the Lord's Prayer. And he says, when you pray, which we all do, when we pray for daily bread, you are praying for everything that contributes to your having and enjoying daily bread. So obviously, he's talking about the physical aspect of daily breads, food. We could talk about physical, and we could also talk about spiritual, right, daily bread. But here, Luther's honing in on this physical aspect, which most interpreters are going to acknowledge that there's some sort of physical need that's being met. So he says, when you're enjoying and having your daily bread, bread... You must open up and expand your thinking so that it reaches not only as far as the flour bin and the baking oven, but also out over the broad fields, the farmlands, and the entire country that produces, processes, and conveys to us our daily bread and all kinds of nourishment. Okay, is anybody excited like I am? You see what he's doing? How does God give security to a city? Through the daily service of just city officials, police officers. Could anybody use a politician with justice and integrity? Would that make a difference? How does God make peace in the city? Through good neighbors, through citizens. How does God provide daily bread to his people Through the daily service of the farmer, the baker, the truck driver, and even the person that maintains the daggum roads. Look at what the scriptures reveal. It is God that's sustaining creation. It's God that's doing it. It's God that's providing for us, but he does it through you. He does it through your daily vocations. He does it through the farmer. He does it through the baker. He does it through the person who picks up your garbage. Um, I uh, like kind of apocalyptic TV shows and movies, okay? 
Normally I have to wait till my wife goes to sleep to watch these. But what happens when there's a zombie outbreak, right? Everybody stops working and society falls apart. If you could just begin for a second to imagine a few positions or organizations or whatever in society not functioning properly, right? Things fall into chaos. Maybe we got like a little taste of this, COVID, right? Maybe we see how frail our existence is, right? How we depend on so many different things. The scriptures say, this is the Lord working to sustain us all, to accomplish his work. I don't care what your job is. Obviously, nothing immoral and illegal, right? I was a youth minister for too long. What about like a drug dealer, Brad? Is that a holy vocation? All right. When that kid comes up, I get angry because that kid was me, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, obviously, nothing immoral or illegal. Um, but in your vocation, I don't care what it is, the Lord is sustaining his creation. He is providentially caring for the world. I hope that gives deep significance and meaning, right? Um, can we be a people that judges our work based off of the scriptures and not our culture? Can we see the worth and value of our work based off of the scriptures and not our culture? Lord, would you do that work among us? And start with me, because I need it the most. Okay, fourth. Fourth and last, your daily work witnesses to Jesus. Your daily work witnesses to Jesus. This is going to take us to the passage in 1 Thessalonians. Let me read it one more time. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers from Macedonia. We urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire, and this is where I really want us to hone in on, all right? For those of you that are checked out, I know you're out there. To aspire, verse 11, to live quietly, to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Okay, what's going on? So Paul is overjoyed because Timothy has returned with a report that despite much persecution, persecution, <laughs> can't talk, that's okay. The church has remained faithful to the gospel. But Paul does have his concerns. And it's interesting with what Paul's concerns center on. What are those concerns? His concerns are with their daily work. Their daily work. So he says, okay, I want you to increase in your love. I want you to aspire to lead a quiet life. I want you to work with your hands. Don't be dependent so that you may walk properly. 
So why is Paul saying this? Why is he concerned? And why does he put so much emphasis on the daily, ordinary work of the church? Well, we don't know exactly what's going on, but it seems like there's this disruption that's happening in the community, and it's coming because there's a misunderstanding of Christ's second coming, of his, of his return. So it's like after the Thessalonians convert, there's a group of them that become so enamored with the possibility that Jesus could return at any moment. They left their jobs, and then they just started proclaiming apocalyptic doom. All right? Um, they were preaching this message of God's imminent wrath on society, but at the same time, they're moochers. Okay? So they're mooching off the church, and then they're mooching off of the society. Do you see? All while preaching this message of apocalyptic doom. Right? Now, um, Paul wants them to know that while Christ's return is imminent, in the sense that it could happen at any moment, and we live in that reality today, right? um, nonetheless, they are to faithfully witness to the lordship of Christ, not by abandoning their daily work, but continuing in it faithfully. Now, as I think about SVCC, I don't think we have a lot of people here that are quitting their jobs, going to the side of the road, and waving a huge sign that says, turn or burn, right? I don't think that's happening, right? <laughs> if so, come up and talk to me afterwards. Generally, I don't think that's the case. So why do I go on about this? Well, nonetheless, I think this is a powerful word to us because Paul's revealing that faithfulness in the everyday, faithfulness in the ordinary tasks, faithfulness in the mundane, right? Whether we realize it or not, or whether we have the vision to see it or not, witnesses to Jesus. Your work witnesses to something. Each and every day. And normally when we think about witnessing to Jesus, we think about the big moments. We think about the massive conversations, right? And rightly so. But we also need to draw our attention to the worth of the ordinary, to the worth of the daily, and to the witness that you give day in and day out, once again, no matter what, you do. For some of us, um, man, I, I just keep preaching the sermon to myself. I think for some of us, the fear is not that God would call us across the world. Rather, the fear is that God would call us to a life of continued faithfulness in Birmingham. It's not that God would call us across the world. It's he would call us to do faithfully what he has us doing now. It's not the fear of the extravagant. It's fear of what? It's fear of the ordinary. 
sphere of the mundane. And I've been thinking about this. I think we fear the ordinary and the mundane partially because it threatens to crush us. Man, at my funeral, I want someone to get up and say, when I think about Brad, I just think that man lived an ordinary and mundane life. Everyone's like, he put words to it. Brad, ordinary, (laughs) mundane. They might as well just say dull, right? Boring. That's probably one of the biggest insults you could give me. What do you think about Brad? He's a nice guy. He's just really boring. Ugh, right? I'm feeling it in my heart. It's just fear that I'm going to be defined by the ordinary, that I'm going to be defined by the mundane. When people would look back on my life, they would say there was nothing uh, extravagant or particular or anything about him or what he did. Right? And it's not just other people looking at my own life. It's me looking at my own life, Right? <laughs> Let's be honest. That's where the fear starts to come up. There's a book titled To Change the World, subtitled The Irony, Tragedy, and Possibility of Christianity in the Late Modern World. Wow, that's a mouthful, right? To Change the World, The Irony, Tragedy, and Possibility of Christianity in the Late Modern World. I feel like there's like, 15 band names in that, in that title. It's written by James Davidson Hunter. And in the book, he gives several examples of what he calls Christians having a faithful presence. What he calls Christians having a faithful presence through their vocations. So you read the book, and this page of examples, it's awesome. I mean, it's really cool to read. There are examples of CEOs There are examples of tech giants, you know, it's that like, whoa, he's a Christian, yeah! You know, it's that kind of thing when you're reading it. Um, We have have so many cool people on our team, you know, it's that feeling. You know what I'm talking about, you know? So-and-so is a Christian, okay, anyway, you get the point. My wife says get to the point sometimes. Um, Okay, so there's all these examples, tech giants, CEOs, entrepreneurs, educators, people who have started nonprofits, um, oh my gosh, they work for Google. Yeah, all of that. Um, and they work, it, the book talks about how they witness to Jesus in their work, how their Christianity and how their theology shapes not just what they say about Jesus in the world, but also how they go about creating and sustaining their business. So like, here's a crazy idea. What if we viewed our employees as like human beings? Whoa. What does that mean for benefits? What does that mean if we make a little less money because we give them more time off to be with their family? We're talking crazy now in the world of business. We talk about less money, right? So those examples are cool. Okay, I didn't mean to say any of that. (laughs) This is what stood out to me, though. It's his last example. Um, He talked about a woman who rang up and bagged groceries for her entire life. Her sphere of influence, as he calls it, was six feet. Six feet of influence. He writes, every day she greeted her customers with genuine enthusiasm, remembering customers' names and asking about their families. 
She would end every conversation by saying that she was going to pray for their family. You know how some Christians can just do that and it's cool? That was her, you know? Um, Over time, this caused problems. For people wanted to get in her aisle, which resulted in large lines. People would wait, though, because they enjoyed being with her, encouraged just by her very presence. At her funeral, years after she retired, the church was packed to standing room only capacity. And she was eulogized again and again and again and again and again by people who she had encouraged for years. To go back to the funeral, as one preacher said, and I've said before, at your funeral, are they going to be given titles or are they going to be given testimonies? That's good. That's why I stole it. CEO, business leader, look at these accomplishments, right? It's not inherently bad. Are they going to be giving titles or are they going to be giving testimonies? Have you ever thought about bagging groceries as holy work? I haven't. Do you see the witness of her work? Do you see the worth of her work? Do you see the witness of your work? Do you see the worth of your work? My prayer is that by the Holy Spirit, we would, because I believe that for each and every one of you, at your funerals, we're going to be given testimony. And we may use the words ordinary. We may use the words daily work, but there will be nothing boring about it. There will be nothing bland about it. And not only at your funeral are we going to be sharing these works about you, but for eternity, we're going to be talking about bagging groceries. Because look what God did with bagging groceries. Look what God did with your presence as a teacher. Look what God did with you as a mother. Look what God did with you as a father. Look what God did with you as an accountant. Look what God did with you as a coach. Look at what God did with you as a counselor. Look at what God did with you as a construction worker. Look what God did with you as a doctor. Look what God did with you as a CEO. Our eternity is one of proclaiming and telling about holy vocations. Amen.